Hello, everyone. I'm Laura. And I'm Chantal. And this is Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size. The podcast following one woman's journey to health through weight loss surgery and beyond. And I'm that woman. The information and personal experiences shared on this podcast are for general informational and entertainment purposes only. Our stories represent individual perspectives and do not constitute professional medical advice, guidance, or recommendations. All right, Chantal, let's just get right into it today. How uh, has things? How are things going? Yeah, certainly. Um, I did all right this week. I was on vacation. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of control over like what I was cooking, mm. um, or anything, you know, um, luckily so many restaurants now you can go online and look up their nutritional like menu. Um, yeah, depending and on the so, state where you live, a lot of times they print it right on the yeah. menu too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, so they're required to print at least calories, I believe in most states at this point. Um, it actually was like. This was voted in when I was in nursing school, like just Mm. before I became a nurse, actually. And um, but they allowed states like up like 10 years to actually implement it so that menus and things like that could be converted over. Like it wasn't Mm. implemented right away. It was actually voted in like a long time ago, from my understanding. But, um, you know, for people that are bariatric patients or are on any sort of, you know, eating plan that requires some sort of a restriction or monitoring, at least, you may not just need calories, which is what is required to be printed. And mm-hmm. so if you look up their nutritional menu for a restaurant online, you can find like the sodium levels for people that are on sodium restrictions, or you can find protein, carbs, fat, alcohol, like sugar alcohols, sugars, pretty much anything like that on one of those. So depending on what you're tracking, you can locate it. And so when you're going out to eat, I think it's super important to kind of plan ahead when you are watching what you're eating or restricted on what you're eating. And so luckily, you know, we could pick a restaurant several hours beforehand and being able to look at the menu online and do that prior to getting to the restaurant alleviates a lot of the anxiety of ordering out when you have such restrictions. Uh, I think this is a great topic for us to talk about a little bit because I think the other question I would have, like, I think that's great advice about like going to restaurants and like eating out when you're, when you're undergoing this, this pre bariatric process. Um, What about, eating like planning meals with your family and like how how, what was that process like because I know it was like a family vacation with like all of your brothers and their wives and their kids and your parents and like the whole gang yes there's 14 of us to keep track of and everyone (laughs) has you know different Different. you know needs um when it comes to nutrition obviously um you know there was one of the 14 that needs breast milk not all of us need that (laughs) um so you know we all had different dietary requirements on this vacation (laughs) some are Um, vegetarians yes some Some are vegetarians (laughs) so um definitely it makes it a little more challenging when you're trying to you know accommodate everyone's needs for sure however not totally impossible i opted to skip breakfast every day um one I don't want to get up and go to a place to have breakfast at 7.30 in the morning. I don't have children. They don't wake me up that early. So that's an easy one for me to skip on. Also, most like breakfast buffets, unless you're just eating bacon and eggs, which isn't even that amazing for you, it's like so carb and sugar packed. 
And so it's just hard to avoid that. So for me, I did my greens, my collagen, and my protein. And some days I actually didn't even, like... So we ate on a schedule based on one of my brother's kids. They they have the youngest. And so with that, like their sleeping schedule and their feeding schedule is really kind of timed out, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so breakfast was fairly early for the family. And then lunch was typically about 11, 1130, which is breakfast for me and Corey. <laughs> yeah. So that worked out perfect. And then dinner was like at 430, which is lunch for us. And then Corey and I <laughs> fed ourselves at like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. So we yeah. just kind of like shifted our day a little (laughs) and we're able to do you know two meals with the family and depending on where they were ordering you know I was able to either look ahead I did take some food because we were in a rental like a house Mm -hmm. um I want to call it an Airbnb but I don't think it was I I was actually just talking to my friend side note and I've decided that like Airbnb is like Kleenex like I'm just calling every rental an Airbnb like I'm not learning like Verbo and all these different ones like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're on our airbnb <laughs> yeah um and so there was a meal that i was just like okay that i oh they were having they were gonna order pizza and i didn't want to order pizza and then oh, what was the other meal oh they wanted to do fat burger i think or steak and shake one of those places sure yeah and i was like yeah that's not gonna live for me so I actually just made myself like a dinner and then I brought it over and had it while everyone else had theirs because we everyone we got this they got their sandwiches and brought them back to the hotel and we all hung out in the hotel date and so I just brought my food with me and you know I ate dinner Mm -hmm. with them I just ate something that was within my nutritional needs you know what? My mother-in-law always does that. She's like, we're like, hey, Sammy, we're, eat- we're at, co-. I mean, if I cook dinner, she'll eat it. Like what I cook, yeah. but like, you know, we've been moving recently and she was like helping us move and we're like, we're going to get, you know, um, like Culver's or something, some fast food. And she's like, I'll just bring my food over. You're good. You're That's good. Yeah. It's easy. We did run into, like, I had to wait for, to eat one of my meals because I was going to order from a, like, a different place like Mm -hmm. everyone was ordering from different places and so I wanted to order from a different place than where Corey was and he didn't want to order and wait like he didn't want to get his food until I got my food and so I had a conversation with him and told him that you know with surgery right around the corner there are going to be a lot of times where he needs to eat or can eat and I can't Mm -hmm. or that I'll need to at that moment and can't wait for him and so that he, you know, he's got to get used to the fact that like our eating schedule, it just isn't going to be the same. And it mm. doesn't mean that we're never not going to have meals together again. Right, right. It just means that we have to take in what our nutritional needs are before the convenience of having a meal with somebody else. There's nothing that says you can't sit with someone while they eat if you've already eaten. You know, right, absolutely, so absolutely. I told him, you know, get your food and it worked out because our food both got there at the same exact time. And so he got to eat his from one restaurant and I ate mine from another and we were fine. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a that's a good point because it's it's definitely going to change not just your routine, but like the routines you have with your husband and like, yeah. you know, your 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 dinner, nice times and stuff like that. Cause that's, that's something that's like really important to my husband as well is like sitting down and eating a meal together, which is like, honestly, not something that I was really (laughs) doing. Like we sat in front of the TV and ate. Had some Um, games on, right? (laughs) On the weekends, like when my dad was home, we we would like have like 
you know, full family meals. Um, At your kitchen like, table. <laughs> well, Sunday nights. Sunday nights yes. were like the one night. Cause like, yeah. yeah, most of the time we just like ate like quick food in front of the TV or like Saturday night, my mom always made nachos. And so we'd like watch a movie and eat nachos in front of the TV. <laughs> my parents always <laughs> did popcorn, cheese, and apple slices on Saturday night with a movie after Sabbath. Nice. Nice. That was, that was your meal? You're like, yes, okay. popcorn, cheese, and apples. Thanks, mom. No wonder I hoard food. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, my mom actually is winning for once on a meal there with nachos. My mom is a non cook at all. <laughs> but it was like the easy, you know, she just like throw a bag of chips in a, in a pan, throw a bag of shredded cheese on it, throw a can of beans on top shove it in the oven and there you go that's dinner it's actually not i should make that why don't i make it it's so easy um i just watched like some tiktok video which of course means i'm probably gonna try it and post it on our facebook page so <laughs> keep an eye out y'all Ooh. um but i saw like an air fryer nacho and i was like oh girl i can Ooh. get down on some air fryer nachos <laughs> i i feel like i need to get an air fryer um yeah you probably should <laughs> yeah just for get air fryer friday yes <laughs> in our facebook group don't touch a girl by her size go check it out uh okay anyway so how how was your exercising this weekend with the family did you guys get out and like move around a lot yes i moved around a ton i didn't like particularly exercise but i was walking everywhere i found that my back spasms when i'm standing still like if I'm moving, okay. I mean, I it, it's it'll go into a spasm if I'm walking long enough, anyways. However, like if I stand still, I will start to spasm within a minute. If I'm walking, I can walk a good like ten minutes now without having a back spasm. Mm. So awesome. um, I stayed moving quite a bit. That's awesome. That's really yeah. good to hear. One thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about today is, you know, your your why, and I think. We talked a little bit about, you know, how everyone's journey is going to be like really different in this whole process. And yeah. you got to spend a lot of time with your family over the weekend. And like, I, I just I'm curious, like how how that like made you got you thinking about like your why and like what what you were thinking about this weekend yeah, on your vacation. Definitely. definitely. Um, I mean, one thing to consider when you're thinking about this is the fact that everyone's definition of success is also going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that a lot of my whys are driven by the success that I want to accomplish through this mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. And for me, a big, big, big one is having quality time with my family, not missing out on things. Um, I think that a lot of the times, you know, over the last few years, I've missed like going to games for my nieces or my nephews mm -hmm. or participating. Like the last time we were all together, I didn't go to the zoo when everyone else did because I couldn't walk around the zoo, you know? And so spending a weekend with my family definitely reminds me of the struggles that I am going through and why I am doing that. Um, and what success means to me is being able to spend time with my family and not have it be compromised by my mobility and my weight. Absolutely. I think another thing that we talked about, like when we went to that first appointment together that I took you to, and it was like the first time I think you saw that surgeon and, and yeah. he had asked you like what your goals were or whatever, like what your target weight was. And yeah. I thought you gave a really good answer. Do you want to, do you want to tell everyone what you told him? <laughs> 
Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't I still don't have a target weight. Um, and I think that the idea uh, there's two reasons, I think, why um, mm-hmm. I don't have a target weight at this point. One is like we were discussing earlier, you know, what is my definition of success? And my definition of success is being able to gain back my independence, gain back mobility, gain back, gain back my autonomy, um, gain back a relationship that is of equal with my husband and not of caregiver and essentially patient. You know, he unfortunately has taken on that role. And, you know, I want to get back to a point where we are each other's partners and mm-hmm. not, you know, not that there's, you know, anything wrong with having that dynamic within a relationship. But if you can, you know, it's something that we don't have to do any longer. Yeah. And I want to get back to a point of that. And so, you know, when he asked me what my goal weight was, I don't have an answer for it because for me, defining success is not a number. It is having mobility. It's it's all the things that we just discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I've thought about this quite a bit because it's been, well, July to August to September to October. You know, it's been about three months since that appointment where we went in initially. Um, and so I've had much more time to kind of reflect on that. Mm. Um, I also think that part of the reason why I probably haven't chosen a a goal weight is because it's still, I, I think there's still part of my brain that has not fully grasped the idea that like my weight can change that drastically. Mm. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like I still mm-hmm. don't see myself at 250, at 200, at below 200, you know, I mean, the idea of those things happening still, there's still a part of my brain that just is like, that's not realistic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to mm-hmm. set myself up for disappointment or failure. And so I think I'm kind of holding myself back with setting yeah. a number as well, because it's like, I mean, why would you set an unrealistic number? And anything that is better than where I've been at for so long is still somewhat unrealistic, it seems. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I'm definitely accepting it more and more and more and realizing that this is my reality. Um, my husband actually did something so sweet this week. Uh, we were walking through a store and we were walking past a jewelry case and he said, oh my God, I'm going to be able to start buying you jewelry again because I haven't fit into any jewelry and I haven't worn a wedding ring in so long because of it. And... I just oh, thought it was so cute. sweet that he yeah. said that. And like, but you know, you. It's, I'm still trying to remind myself of that that you know that there is a possibility of there being more to my life even though there's less to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And hopefully like the the positive changes that you've already seen in your in your lifestyle and like in the the, the things that you're able to it's like making you're able it to even more and more real store now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like helping like crystallize that yeah this is possible definitely I think that's amazing and I am so supportive of you and so excited for you and I just you you know so talk to us a little bit about like the journey and like the changes that you've made so far you know as you've been motivated by all of these these things really it started with that first initial appointment with the general practitioner who Mm -hmm. gave me the referral to the weight loss clinic Um, And then he also gave me a referral to a therapist who I was able to get in pretty quickly. And I am really enjoying speaking with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then you and I went to the point, my first appointment with a weight loss clinic. And at that point, I had not made up my mind completely as to whether or not I was going to be doing this. I was wanting to, I wanted to go through the process 
so that if I decided to, I was ready to do it and I didn't have to like start later is yeah. kind of how I set it up in my brain, almost justify going through the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hadn't fully committed and, you know, learning more. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to give this a try. We're going to see where we can go because I had done this process once before, as I've mentioned prior yeah. and did not get, you know, through it, obviously. Um, and so I figured, you know, either I get through it or I don't. Like, let's, let's just go through the motion almost, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I, but then I decided, okay, let's take this seriously. Let's actually make this a viable option. Um, and so I had done a ton of research and I had seen that a lot of physicians place their, um, patients on what's called a liver shrinking diet prior to surgery. Um, and this is determined by many different factors, your medical conditions that you have alongside with your obesity, um, and also your BMI, things like this all contribute mm -hmm. to the liver shrinking diet. Also, every surgeon, from my understanding, has kind of their own version of what a liver shrinking diet looks like. So what's what's the purpose of the, the liver shrinking diet? Um, so from my understanding is, one, it's, it's to eliminate people that are, okay, so people that have obesity tend to have what's called a fatty liver. Um, and so it's, you know, it's just built up fat within your liver, essentially, that isn't getting filtered out properly. And so one, it's to kind of remove all of that and to get it to the point where, you know, it's functioning at its best possible function. Mm -hmm. Also, you have what's called, um, I think it's called glycogen. Might want to look that up. Um, that gets stored in your <laughs> liver, right. which essentially <laughs> is like, I mean, I mean, it's it's glycogen stored in your liver. So they mm -hmm. want to like kind of utilize that and deplete your liver of that as well because it takes up quite a bit of space in your liver. So between mm -hmm. removing the fat and utilizing what's there, and it makes your liver smaller which allows them to access the part of the stomach that they're working on much easier which in turn will allow for an easier like quicker surgery easier recovery safer recovery um i've heard of surgeons going in and seeing that their patient has not done this diet and closing them up and not continuing with surgery wow. because it does make that big of a difference. Wow. Um, and so my dietitian told me, don't look at this as like a diet you have to do. Look at this as a prescription. Like mm. you have to do this in order to have surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been doing quite a bit of research about that and I decided that um, it seemed very shocking um, and intense <laughs> and almost undoable all at once. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of ease my way into that. Yeah. So what about it seemed so like un unachievable? Um, just, I mean, because so at least for my liver shrinking diet for my surgeon is I'm replacing two meals a day with a protein shake that is low in carbs um, so either premier protein shakes or the fair life protein thirties, you want to have at least 30 grams of protein in it. You know, a lot of protein shakes can oftentimes be filled with a ton of like carbohydrates and sugars. And so you want to try to avoid that obviously. Um, so two meals are replaced with that. And then one meal is four ounces of a lean protein that cannot be cooked in any fat. So mm. no oil whatsoever. Um, no, nothing processed. So you have to do fresh herbs if you want to season your, your protein that you're having. And then you get two, two to four cups of vegetables. Now, mind you, that's within a 24 hour span and can be eaten in any order. It's not like you have to have 
a protein shake for breakfast, a protein shake for lunch, and then this for dinner. You can mm-hmm. have a half a protein shake and a cup of veggies for breakfast sure. and you know, break it up however you want to. But still, that's not a whole lot. And mm-hmm. when you're going from not having really watched what you've eaten for quite some time to that, it can be, I feel like it can almost feel unobtainable. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I did not want to do that. I didn't want to just jump into it when the doctor said, hey, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of modified that a little bit. And I replaced one meal with a protein shake and a piece of fruit. I also do like a half a cup of a sugar-free juice with eight ounces of water mixed into it. Mm -hmm. And then I put my greens and collagen in there. So I have like a whole protein shake and then I have a whole greens. And that's what I have for breakfast pretty much every day. Uh Um, And then I kind of went to the basics as far as the other two meals. I limit myself to four ounces of protein. I have less than one ounce of starch per meal. And then I do eight ounces of a veggie. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's cooked, if it's not cooked, I don't count it, ex- ex- yeah. including fruit. And so I kind of just, you know, took what I was going to be doing for this liver shrinking diet and like did it in half, like instead mm. of, you know, so I took one step towards it. Yeah. So instead yeah. of replacing two meals, I just replaced one and then modified the two I was remaining that were mm-hmm. remaining. Mm-hmm. And I started that on August 1st, having no idea how long or how fast it would take to get through this program, but. I mean, it just, I don't know, it made sense for me. And you just got to yeah. find what works for you, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's, um, it's wow, I didn't realize you'd been doing it for so long, for almost three months now. And then you're starting your liver shrinking diet on in like a few days, right? In on like Friday, two days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you feeling about it now that you've done all this prep and like it's, but it's coming up and you have to like make the final step, you know? <laughs> I'm so like, oh my God, I'm going to be starving. I mean, mm. even somebody that doesn't struggle with their weight would be starving on this diet. So let's get real. Um, it's going to be a struggle. I've already started apologizing to my husband that I'm going to be hangry. So I've already asked for forgiveness beforehand <laughs> <laughs> um, and prepared him, warned him. I might have to ship him to his sister so he'll survive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we've also prepared for him because I don't want to be cooking for all these meals that I cannot partake in and that I can't have. Um, I am a cook. And so I taste things along the way and it just, it's not going to be within what I need to do. And so we've done a lot of like ready, easy meals for him. He's not much of a cook. I've been doing that for him for 16 years. So, (laughs) so we got him like macaroni and cheese and like chicken tender I pretty much shopped for a 12 year old like there's ramen and there's pop tarts and there's like the variety Um, and he's happy like he's super like fine with it and he'll eat eat the the same thing every day like at three meals a day all the time So, I mean, it'll be fine. He'll survive. And, you know, it's not forever. All of these stages that you go through, all of these major changes, they're not forever. And even if they are, you get used to them. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about, like, how it's been. Because I didn't realize you'd been kind of, like, doing this 
and and actually maybe I'm okay. So I am curious too. Like, what what do they typically? Well, okay. So I'm guessing also it's going to be different for every doctor, and yes. every person. Is it typically recommended that you do some pretty intense dieting just like leading up to surgery? What um, is kind of the protocol? Not necessarily. I mean, they didn't tell me, hey, do this or anything like that. I know that when you see the unit, like when I went with you for that initial one, I had a contract I had to sign with a weight loss clinic. And one of them is, is that I would not gain any weight mm. during the process. Sure. Um, And so maintaining your weight, I don't think is an issue. But I mean, when you start out at such a high weight, it just seemed to me that I want to get myself to the absolute pot, like best possible physical condition that I can be for surgery. Cause my best is still somebody's worst. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I was going to do everything I could, but you know, that's the decision that I made. There are plenty of people I know that do not do their liver shrinking diet until they're told to, and don't do anything prior you know, I think some physicians may require certain steps to be taken. Some insurances I know for a fact do have requirements that aren't necessarily the physician's requirements. Mm. Um, and so, you know, obviously everyone's coverage and all of that will be different. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So my surgeon didn't have any really requirements. Um, I mean, obviously he was thrilled, <laughs> as was yeah. everyone else. And as the thing is, is that I want, you know, we want to remember that surgery is one tool. It's not a fix-all. Yeah. And so you're, if you're still eating, if your eating habits have not changed and you're still not eating healthy and you're not choosing, you're not reaching for, you know, protein positive and you're going for this, that's not going to change anything after surgery. Right. And, right. you know, you hear about people losing several hundred pounds and then regain of 50% of the weight that they lost. Yeah. And for me, I don't want that to be an option. And so doing, I think that it's super important to, you know, address those things. I mean, I know that a lot of physicians will suggest like cognitive therapy prior to surgery mm, if they think that's necessary. I mean, I certainly am glad that I have a therapist through this process. That's for sure. Okay, so now that you've, like, scheduled your surgery and, like, that's getting closer, let's talk really? about your feelings around that. How are How's that making you feel? Um, it depends on when you ask me, I guess. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm actually really excited. Like, okay, I have learned to accept the things that scare me the most typically are the most worthwhile things. Mm -hmm. The things that have brought me the most joy, the most growth the moments in your life that you'll always remember are things that absolutely terrify the shit out of me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I've learned to kind of run into that fear almost. Don't judge a girl by their size is sponsored by cloud underground. Make starting a company as straightforward as playing an RPG with the RPG of life incubator from cloud underground. Start building your business for free today. Learn more at cloudunderground.dev. That's cloudunderground.dev. Support for this podcast is provided by Freedom Multifamily Acquisitions. They are your key to financial freedom through real estate investments. Making your money work for you, not the other way around. Please visit freedommfa.com. That's freedommfa.com for valuable insights on investing in real estate and achieving the freedom you desire. Okay, Laura, so you've got your schedule, your surgery scheduled for almost exactly three weeks after mine, three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I know we talked a little bit about how I'm feeling leading into my surgery. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going through your mind and exactly 
how what you're doing to prepare yourself mentally for this major surgery that you're having. I don't know that I've totally like processed it yet, but it's for me, it's been something that's like been on the horizon for like 15 years, you know, because that's been the re- the medical recommendation for me as a previver for so long. Like since I learned that I had the genetic mu- mutation, I was 22. And, yeah. um, and, you know, ever since then, it was like, so when you get when are you gonna have surgery? Was, when are you gonna, gonna have surgery? Happen. When are you gonna inevitable. have surgery? It was, it was inevitable. It was inevitable. Yeah, exactly. And I had always okay. told my when I was in my twenties, I told my surgeon like, because you know you start seeing a breast surgeon like immediately. You know, once once yeah. you're diagnosed, that's who you start doing your your screening with. So you go, yeah. you see a breast surgeon, they do an exam. Um, you have an MRI once a year. And then for me, because my family history, my mom had a cousin who was diagnosed when she was 26 of breast cancer. I started doing mammograms also when I was 26. Okay. Usually they don't want to do that because it's a lot of radiation that they're exposing you to, which can also, yeah. you know, it contribute to your, your cancer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Can increase your chance, your likelihood of having cancer. But because of my history, they're like, you, ha- you have to do this. So basically yeah. what you do is you stagger it. So you have an MRI once a year. And then six months later, you have a mammogram and you have a mammogram once a year. So every six months you're doing something and you're always, and you're always following up with your breast surgeon after you have one of those, uh, either an MRI or a mammogram. So I was always like, okay, when I'm 30, when I'm 30, I'm going to do this. Right. Okay. And then I turned 30 and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I like my boobs. I'm not quite ready for this yet. (laughs) Sort of a thing. I'm not ready. Um, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I probably would have kept feeling that way if not for the fact that like the last few times that I've gone in they've found something like there's been something that looked weird on a ma- on the mammogram I I've never you know I'm really lucky because I've actually never had to have a biopsy or anything like that okay. you know I have a lot of friends who well I I have a couple friends one friend who's also BRCA positive she has had some like you know, some, some lumps and had to have biopsies. And it's like really traumatic to have to like go through that. And I have another friend who just, who isn't even BRCA, but like she has just like cystic breasts. So she's always finding things. And like, that was another thing with my mom was like, she was constantly, you know, after she had cancer for the first time, she was constantly finding things, you know? And so it's just like, you get to the point where it's like it's so nerve-wracking every time you go in that like they're gonna find something and that you're gonna have cancer like this is the time that you're gonna go and like they're gonna tell you you have cancer that it's almost just like I'm done I'm done having that fear every six months I'm done having to like go through that I'm done I I I want the peace of mind so like really that I think the thing that's like motivating me at this point is like I just don't want to have to worry about it anymore. I'm definitely starting to get nervous for the surgery because it's a pretty major surgery. Like, honestly, I feel like it might even be more like invasive than what you're having done at this point. Yeah. Um, because you know, they, they scrape out all of your, your tissue, they make an incision, they scrape out all of your breast tissue, like from like all the way up here, you know, like yeah. all of this is like breast tissue. If if you're listening on the, on the, um, podcast, like all the, your breast tissue goes all the way up to like your, your armpits. Armpits. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're removing all of that. So it's a pretty, pretty major surgery. I, I think it's like a four hour procedure. And then what they do is they put expanders in. So I'll have reconstruction. They'll put implants in for me. So one of the procedures that they can do for reconstruction is they can take your own tissue and like use that 
for your reconstruction. Okay. Like that's what my mom did. So she had like fat from her ass that's now a breast, which is yeah. freaking amazing that they can do that. Um, so but she you, doesn't even have implants. You don't yeah, have don't, anything to spare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't have anything There's to no spare. There's no spare parts on you. <laughs> but the other thing about it is like, you know, implants, they only last about 10 years. So like in 10 years, I'm probably going to have to have, have it all. Another done. replacement. At least with the, at least like nothing's like that invasive, just like the implants. And at that point, if I have more like body tissue that could be like moved around, like if I've had babies or something and have some excess weight, then that's, they can, they can use that then. So it is an option yeah. in the future, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but for me, for now, what they're going to do is they'll remove all the tissue and then they put expanders in mm-hmm. and then they slowly like expand your tissue back out to like the the size that you want so like my surgeon's super excited because he's like oh well, we can like even them out and you can make them whatever like fix the shape <laughs> and like blah 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 <laughs> like okay whatever sure that sounds good. it's like play-doh <laughs> yeah exactly it's like if you have to have it done you might as well get the perfect set that you've always wanted <laughs> Right. I guess I had never really considered like I had always been imagining the recovery to be as though it was like a breast implant. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess it's much more extensive because with a breast implant, you open up and you do maybe remove a little tissue to kind of move things around to get the implant in. Mm -hmm. But I guess that, you know, obviously what you're doing is much more extensive. And so what have they kind of explained to you as far as like what will recovery look like? Like how long? What are your restrictions? I know I have a 10 pound lifting restriction for four mm-hmm. weeks after surgery and I have some restrictions on exercise I mean I have to get up and walk all, all the time to avoid mm-hmm. blood clots especially because of the obesity um factor but I mean anyone who has surgery ha- is they get them up and they walk them right away so right right right, right. well I, I haven't done my pre-op appointment yet so I still have a lot of questions okay. uh, regarding some of these things um yeah but from what I've read and like from what I know at this point I know that I'll be coming home with drains uh that'll probably that can last like one to two weeks like they'll just leave okay. them in until they stop weeping okay, essentially you know- I guess I have I have had some friends who have had top surgery that are transgender. So sure. I imagine that 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 it's probably very really similar, similar to that because they probably remove all of the breast tissue in when they do that as well. So I'm imagining yeah. it is very similar to that. So I have mm-hmm. a better idea now of what it is. Yeah. And so I also know that uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm on a like a five pound weight restriction for like at least a month. Yeah. After you're, you've kind of recovered a little and your your tissue is starting to heal, then I go in and they start, like, expanding the expanders. So the expanders okay. have, like, a port on them, and they can yeah. literally just, like, like put stick a needle in it. it and, like, put saline in it, into it <laughs> so you can get them, like, the size that you want them to be. Um, and then the second surgery, which is when they pull out the expanders and put in the actual implants, is, okay. I think, so really you, simple. Like, they so just you have the same extenders. incision. Yeah, you have the extenders the for, implant. like, three to okay. Four months. Oh wow! So you have them for a while, yeah. So okay. if you go to California, I might actually even still have them. Still there. have them? Can we pump so, them up then? No, I'm just kidding. Right? Like, yeah. Let's uh, let's get some drinks. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely a process. It's gonna be. I think a lot of recovery. I th- I'm a little concerned about the first couple of weeks, um, but I, it'll be fine. You know, it, it's, it is what it is and it'll be, I'm really excited just to have, have it over with, have the peace of mind just kind of close that chapter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, um, 
you know, even at 35, I think maybe in the last year, about a year ago, mm-hmm. somewhere around then, I actually ended up having my first mammogram. Mm-hmm. And um, why there did they do so early had, for you? I, I'm curious. Because um, I had they, I had a like a lump in my breast that was pretty prominent, uh-huh. and so I had gone in to see my physician. And oh, did I see my physician or did I go to my OB? I might have gone. I think I went to my general practitioner, uh-huh. um, and he was like, "Okay, let's go ahead and schedule this." So I went in, and they did a mammogram and an ultrasound, and it ended up not being anything thank goodness but i'm i don't know my family history i was adopted and so you know not having any family history i'm like you know going into this because it was a fairly large lump and i guess what they determined was it was just like a like maybe something that got backed up like Mm -hmm. of a duct or something and it had grown and then mm-hmm. eventually it dissipated on its own but I noticed it right away and they had me in and they were scanning it within a week so it yeah. was a pretty quick process of being able to find out but mm-hmm. for that week I mean I remember going to bed the night before and crying because it was just like I had never once up until that point had had any type of like health scare like that mm-hmm. and so like for somebody that doesn't have you know, the gene mutation and having that fear, I imagine the anxiety for somebody that does have it going into each one of those appointments is very high. And so, oh, yeah. yes, this surgery is definitely going to be able to give you a peace of mind. You won't have to continue to do that as all. like, yeah. And honestly, for my, my last, my last mammogram, which was in July, I did, I, I had something that I was like, palpitating like before I went in like I could feel something and I was just like yeah. I didn't really tell anybody except for my husband because like I knew my mom would freak out like I knew everyone yeah. in my family would freak out it's just like until I know a definitive answer I was like I don't even want to like say anything exactly. because the other thing about me and like my breasts like everybody's are different and uh, but when you're like usually when you're like uh, you know particularly under 30 but even under 40 your breast tissue is really dense and so it's like it's really hard for them to even tell what's going on. So that's why, so they'll, they'll, they'll see something in a mammogram and be like, Oh, we don't really know what this is. We need you to have an ultrasound. And then usually they can figure it out with an ultrasound or an MRI where they're just like, okay, like we can tell that it's just like, I wonder why they don't just not anything else. I wonder why if an ultrasound is the, like the end testing to kind of clarify what's on a mammogram, why, an ultrasound it just isn't done instead because I, I think an, does an ultrasound have less radiation than an yeah, MRI an ultrasound is like yeah no radiation I think so yeah yeah I would, I would think that that would be because like, they followed up mine with an ultrasound as well like that was the the goal yeah, so the I'm yeah. that's I wonder why they do both yeah I don't know that's, that's a good question something to write down to ask uh, my surgeon I guess um, yeah <laughs> I'm curious yeah. <laughs> but yeah so, so I. I think that's where I'm at. I'm like, I, I'm, ex- I, it's scheduled. I'm ready. I have a lot of questions for my pre-op appointment. We'll definitely and dive I'm into just, that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just looking for like the peace of mind, you know, of having it done and over with. I yeah. should tease that we are going to do a bonus episode where we talk a lot more about my mastectomy and some of the feedback that I've gotten from some of my other family members, like my in-laws and how they're feeling about, you know, my, my decision to do this. Of course, everybody's supportive, but uh, some people have a lot of questions as to like why I'm doing this, 
why such an extreme measure? And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people just out in the general population who are like, you don't have cancer. Why would you be removing your breasts at this point? And so yeah. we're going to do a whole like deep dive into that on our Patreon. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I think that, you know, for both of our surgeries, I mean, technically they're elective. And so a lot of people are just questioning, like, I've definitely been questioned by friends and family members. And although they are all supportive you know they're like well if you're losing weight why not just continue doing what you're doing and so that's questioned quite a bit and like and it you know I have not personally felt like they're negatively questioning it I mean but people that care about you want to know why and what's going on I think that everyone comes to their conclusion for different reasons you know and so you've got we you know you've come to your decision to do this elective surgery for reasons I've come to my decision as well Mm -hmm. and I think that really for both of us we want to be able to continue our life with the knowledge that we've done what we can to give us the best fighting chance at a healthy sustainable life Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another I, I want to put this in like a really like gentle way. Um, I think another thing that like you and I have that a lot of other people on this planet, especially in America right now, don't have is faith and belief in like in actual medicine. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I yes. know that neither of my parents, you know, my dad passed away from cancer about a year ago, which was awful and so sad. But I also know that if not for, you know, medical professionals, he would not have lived nearly as long as he did because he had a brain yeah. tumor when I was eight. You know, my mom has had breast cancer twice. It's yeah. just like one of those, like my parents would not be here if not for medical intervention like actual like scientific medicine yes absolutely you know I have a lot of people in my life who are like oh you should be doing these homeopathic things and there's all these things that you can do to like prevent yourself from getting cancer and I'm like you know that might be your path and like the choice that you make but like I I don't really believe that that's the only thing that's gonna the only option I think maybe you do it hand in hand. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. uh, Absolutely. I think it's really important to have like a healthy lifestyle and that sort of thing, which is usually what like naturopathy is all about. Right. It's just like, you know, doing living well well and living healthily. And we both come from a fairly religious background. And so I've also had the argument of, well, you know, if it's God's plan or if it's this, you know what I mean? And for Mm me, I'm like, okay, so if you believe in God and you believe that he has provided everything, then to me, he has provided these scientists and these physicians with the knowledge and ability to provide this care. And so why not take advantage of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, That's very much how I feel about it, too. Okay, so we talked a lot about my mastectomy. Chantal, tell us a little bit more about the specific bariatric procedure that you're having. I know that there's a few different options for people who are going through the bariatric surgery process. So tell us which surgery you're having. Um, So there are a few different options. My surgeon and I have decided that I'm going to have a vertical gastric sleeve. Um, This is where they will go in and remove 80% of my stomach. So in the beginning, right afterwards, from my understanding, we'll know in two weeks, um, (laughs) is you can really only take in about an ounce or two at a time because you're Mm. like they leave you with about a four out four ounce pouch 
But with the edema and swelling after surgery, you have about one until that goes down, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to drink like one ounce of water every 10 minutes to get 64 ounces in throughout the day. Like, that's the number one cause of rehospitalization after gastric bypass or, you know, any bariatric surgery is dehydration. Um, and so... So just be, like, taking little shots of water all just <laughs> Yes, exactly. I'm just going to have, like, a shot glass next to me and be throwing them back like I used to in college, except for instead of rumple mints, it'll be water. <laughs> but, yeah, so we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. That's actually my sister-in-law is going to come and stay with me for a few days, and she's pretty much going to be, like, my human alarm. So it's going to be, like, every 10 minutes to tell me, because I might be still groggy um, on pain meds. I'm going to try and, you know, get off of any narcotics as quickly as possible because um, blockage in bariatric patients is another really big Mm. concern. And Mm. as most people know, narcotics does cause constipation. And so I would like to be able to get off of them as quickly as possible. So she'll be here to kind of remind me to take meds, stay on top of it, because that's a lot of things that allow, you know, pain getting away from you can cause healing to be extended Mm -hmm. and I have a you know people sleep they get drowsy when they're on pain meds and so they don't sleep and then they wake up and it's two hours past their dose and they're in excruciating right 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 right. and so she's gonna kind of be here to make sure that that doesn't happen for the first few days until Mm -hmm. I'm you know kind of back to more of myself I guess yeah what about your spouse is he working is he um he has the day of surgery and the day after off for sure he doesn't Mm -hmm. have a schedule for that yet she'll be here Thursday through Sunday my surgery is Thursday morning so we'll Mm -hmm. go to the hospital and she is like the most amazing cleaner in the world so she's actually going to kind of spruce up a little bit just to make it you know make it super clean avoid any infection afterwards so we'll change the sheets and everything like that and get everything you know just to avoid any complications mm-hmm. you want to make Ready sure that come home and goes comfortable. smoothly as yes absolutely and from my understanding i think that a lot of patients sleep upright for at least a week or two because mm-hmm. when you lay down it stretches out your insides and so it can cause pain by stretching on that incision in your stomach mm-hmm. a lot of people sleep in a recliner i do have a wedge pillow that can hold me up pretty high i have asthma and so if i get a cold my breathing is just very I struggle quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I have a pillow that's like an upright pillow for my bed. So I may try that or I may just couch it with Sydney for four days. We'll see. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. No, so yeah, so I'm doing gastric sleeve. There are a few others, but I don't have I, I don't have a history of GERD. So if you have any sort of history with heartburn or GERD, then sleeve is pretty much not an option because they will have to do a revision if you do. Because it just mm. you have to think like the pouch that the acid in your stomach sits has now gone from you know full size to twenty percent. So all of that acid that collects goes right into your esophagus, like it's right there. Mm. So if you mm. already have a problem problem with it mm-hmm. then you really have a problem after so if you have a history of GERD then they don't do sleeve at all also because of the amount of weight that I need to lose to get to a healthy BMI which is ridiculous because BMIs are not necessarily accurate yeah um yeah I mean I still my height of five six 199 pounds would still be considered obese <laughs> like 
which is just ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they don't necessarily fully go off of BMIs anymore, but Mm -hmm. it is a guideline kind of. Yeah. Um, And so for me to get down to like a really good healthy weight no surgery alone obviously is going to do that there's going to be plenty of work that I'm going to have to put into it exercising eating right making sure I'm getting enough water in taking my vitamins Mm -hmm. you know when you lose 20 you know 80 percent of your stomach you don't absorb nearly as much so you have to take vitamins every day for the rest of your life to make sure that you don't get malnourished Mm -hmm. with the amount of weight that you lose we wanted the option of doing a revision um so they can go in and revise a your gastric sleeve and turn it into a switch so a bypass can't be revised and a sleeve cam and if you have the revision as of right now weight loss from surgery for a sleeve is anywhere between about 55 to 65 percent of your excess weight so that would get you know you down but if you're still above your goal weight and you're unable to do that with diet and exercise on your own Mm -hmm. they can go in and do a revision which then adds 40% weight loss of the excess weight that you have at that point. So it definitely gets you back, like gets you closer and closer to that healthy weight range that you're looking Uh for. And because of my BMI being as high as it is and my weight being as high as it is going into surgery, we know that 55 to 60% weight loss of the excess weight for me is not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. To get me to a healthy weight. So if we do the sleeve, we have the option of doing the revision if I need it. I'm really hopeful that I can be very dedicated to an exercise routine Mm -hmm. and eating healthy. And so I'm hopeful to not have to do this again in a different way. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really hoping that, you know, but we, you know, I just don't know. I don't know how my body's going to respond to surgery. We don't, you know, we'll know in about a year probably Mm -hmm. if that's going to be a route we take or not. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of a long-term down the road, see how things go and see how you're progressing. And if, but that's an option. That's kind of a nice option to have if you need it. Yeah. And if we did the bypass, I wouldn't have that option. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you said something about a a switch. Are you just saying that they would switch the the procedure that you're using or is that what they call it when you do that second Um, surgery? So the second surgery is called a revision. Mm -hmm. So it's called a duodenal switch. D-U-O-D-E-N-A-L. And so I'm having a gastric sleeve done. If I had a revision, it would be duodenal switch. And that the reason why we're not just starting with that, because it does have much higher, like if we started with that, it has about an 80% of your excess weight, weight loss. So it would really get you to where you need to go to do your own stuff. The difficulty with that is, is that it comes with about, 20% 20% more risk mm. like of okay. surgical complications. So we decided and for the bypass for me, it can, I can lose maybe about 10 pounds more with that surgery than this, than what I'm doing. However, it comes with about 10% more risks. And I mm. just didn't think that 10 pounds was worth 10% more risks. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Especially I mean, since it sounds like you can, always go back down the road and like I can always go back if I need to do it so Mm -hmm. it definitely 
will be an option if I need to down the line. And we'll we'll go ahead and kind of get into the three different type of major gastric bypass surgeries um, another time. Potentially bring in a medical professional who can talk a little bit more specifically about Absolutely. Those. I would hate yeah. to. I definitely don't want to provide any false information or misguided mm-hmm. information to anyone. And so yeah. I'll definitely look a little further into it. And maybe we can find somebody in the medical profession that can give us a better explanation for that. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned for that. So, you know, one thing that we want people to take away from this is that, you know, the choices that you make, like for me having a double mastectomy, for Chantal having bariatric surgery, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, you know, depending on your life circumstances, what you're going through, where you're at. Obviously, surgery is what your goals are going to make. Yeah. And and what your goals are. Absolutely. But for for somebody who is considering surgery, what kind of advice would you give them, Chantal? You know, we kind of talked about this earlier. There was a lot of fear that came with it. Um, And so I kind of avoided it for a while. And then I realized, you know, once again, that, you know, usually the things that fear me are the best things out there for me. And so if you are fearful about it, there are so many things you can kind of do to rest assure those fears. Talk to your physician mostly. I mean, he is going to be your biggest cheerleader or she or they or whoever your physician is <laughs> and their their staff within the clinic they have dietitians to speak with they have counselors to speak with also do your own research i have read and read and read and read and read and mm-hmm. read and read and i also joined like 100 support groups online and i talked to people who have been going through this for six months, for six years. I mean, there are people in these support groups that had the surgery 30 years ago. And Mm. so I definitely worked really hard on making sure getting every perspective there was essentially. And I think that one of the most powerful things that I heard in this research and in connecting with other people in the bariatric community is that everyone says they don't regret it. The only thing they regret is that they didn't do it sooner. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what everyone says. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I honestly feel that, and I haven't even had surgery yet. Like I think to myself, I've given up so much of my life over the last five, 10 years struggling with my weight and being mm-hmm. obese. And I'm just like, I'm not waiting for life anymore. Like I am living it. I'm not Mm -hmm. just on the sidelines watching everyone else have fun and go and do things while I'm sitting here in in excruciating pain and having insecurities. And and I'm done with that. I am getting off the couch. I'm getting out and I'm living my life. Yes, absolutely. I'm so proud of you for doing that too. Thank you. It's been a lot. It's a big decision. Um, And I think that it's absolutely normal to kind of go back and forth with it. And when I started this process, when you first took me to my appointment in July, I don't know that I was even convinced that I was going to be doing this at this time. Mm -hmm. But I wanted the information. And I knew that the process can take between three to six months sometimes, maybe even longer. So I Mm -hmm. figured, you know what, let me go through all of the steps like I'm having surgery. And then with that doing so, I will learn so much about this and I will be able to make a fully educated decision. And if I do that, then, you know, because if I wait six months to make up my mind, then I have to wait another six months for surgery. So I figured, you know what, just go through the process, fake it till you make it. Right. So I figured, okay, I'm just going to go through it, learn everything I can, 
And then that way, if I decide to do it, I've already done the work. And yeah, so that for me was why I, I dove into it. It wasn't necessarily when I started this because I wanted to have the surgery. I wanted the option. And so I went for it. Yeah, no regrets. Yeah. No regrets, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up, Chantal. You have any, any closing thoughts for this episode? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I've thought of. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll come back to you in another episode. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size is created, produced, and hosted by Laura Riley and Chantal Powers. Edited by Laura Riley. Voiceover by Greg Christensen. If you're going through your own weight loss journey, join our Facebook group, Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, join our Patreon where you'll get bonus content and monthly exclusives with Laura and Chantal. You can find links to that and all of our socials in the episode description. And of course, subscribe to Don't Judge a Girl by Their Size wherever you listen to podcasts.